Hola, estudiantes. It's Mr. Harmon, and this is Latin American History Notes for Thursday, April 30th, 2020. Today we are looking at Chapter 9, 20th Century Issues, Section 3, Drug Problems. Should be a fun section. Um, just as a reminder, there is a uh, notes on Moodle under the notes section, uh, as well as this recording. There is an attendance check-in that needs to be done today, and that's all I have for you in terms of assignments. I will hold office hours from 2 to 3 today on Discord. If you guys need anything, check in. Otherwise, let's go ahead and get to it. So what we're starting with here is the history of prohibition. Kind of a little bit of a background on where the U.S. is in terms of how we're dealing with prohibition and drugs and um, drug uh, smuggling into the U.S. Um, so where this is going to start is the prohibition of drugs in Colombia is going to be based on laws actually made in the U.S., not in Colombia, um, dealing with prohibition in the U.S. Um, so in particular, we start with one very important drug law in the U.S. called the Harrison Narcotics Act of 1914. Um, this is our first real law that's going to ban um, opiates and cocaine. Even though cocaine really hasn't hit the U.S., um, opiates have. And so there's kind of a concern of, of those and then what might develop um, once opiates are gone, which we think will be cocaine. Um, so originally the Harrison Narcotics Act is our first major um, act banning drugs. Um, about 23 years later, we're going to update the Harrison Narcotics Act to include other drugs such as marijuana, um, tobacco, and alcohol. Um, now, it's not that we're going to ban those, but it's that they're going to be controlled substances. Um, eventually, they updated again in 1964 through 1968 to include what they'll say are stimulants, depressants, and hallucinogens. And again, they'll classify these um, as certain levels of narcotics. So they're going to be banned um, and be punished um, for what ones you are specifically taking or controlling or selling. Eventually, when these um, are not proved to be enough in terms of controlling these drugs, the U.S. is going to uh, introduce several drug-producing countries to what we call the War on Drugs, where we are going to start to hunt down drug dealers, drug smugglers, drug uh, producers in foreign countries. Um, this becomes really big under two presidents, um, Reagan in 1980 to 88 and Bush Sr. from 89 to 92. And we'll get more into that momentarily here. So the next section we're looking at here sets up uh, kind of what's going to be happening in uh, the drug producing countries. Um, so the first thing we're starting with here are the cartels of Colombia. Um, go ahead and cue the Narcos music right here. Um, anywho, uh, while the US and other countries are kind of fighting against drug produ uh, production and drug trade, um, regardless of that, it's simply too hard to resist the amount of money and the amount of demand that is coming in for drugs. And, and that's really why we see the drug uh, cartels take off and drug production take off in a lot of countries, especially in poor countries where they don't have anything else. It's like, we need money, drugs are what is, is, is going to be driving that money. 
Um, so for the US, uh, one of the earliest, most successful cartels that we are going to be dealing with is a group called the Black Tuna Gang in the early 1970s. Um, so this is the first group really to massively, massively smuggle in drugs to the U.S. Um, and over a 16-month period before they get busted by the U.S. government, they will smuggle in around 500 tons, 500 tons of marijuana to the U.S. Um, I'm not good at math, but we're talking somewhere in the ballpark of a million pounds. That's not just a little bit of reefer. That's a whole, whole lot of pot. Um, so this group does show up on the U.S. government's radar, and that's why they will be uh, uh, taken down eventually. Um, that being said, this is simply the, the first of many steps to bigger, better, scarier, more dangerous, but more lucrative drugs. Once, once it's realized that there's, there's a market in the U.S., it's like, boom, let's go for it. Let's see what we can get out of the U.S. So the 1980s is going to see a push for two huge drugs. The number one drug is going to be cocaine. Um, however, that's not really made in the U.S. It's made outside the U.S., and so there's going to be a, a push to bring that in. And then heroin is going to be the second one, which does tend to get made in the U.S., but also, for the most part, is coming outside the U.S. So cocaine, for the most part, is coming from South America. Um, heroin, for the most part, is actually coming from Mexico. Um, and we are going to see that these two drugs are what are going to start the large, lucrative cartels, both in South America and in Mexico. Um, so with South America, we're actually looking at two really big cartels, um, kind of how those will break down and they will turn into um, smaller, um, more dangerous, I would almost say, cartels. Um, so first of all, we have the Medellin cartel, um, which you would know as the Pablo Escobar cartel. Um, so the Medellin cartel, named after the city of Medellin in Colombia will form in 1976 and will hold some form of drug smuggling power until 1993. As I already said, this is led by the infamous Pablo Escobar. Um, the Medellin cartel will rise to prominence importing coca um, or the coca leaf, the cocaine leaf from Bolivia and from Peru to Colombia and then turning the coca leaf into cocaine, which will then be transported to one of three states. Florida, New York, and California. Those were the bull markets that they were after. Eventually, um, they were so especially well-known for their product um, that they become like the big drug cartel of the world. Not just the U.S., the world. That being said, with the development of this massive drug industry will come violence. Other people are going to want to move in and get in on that industry, get in on that money. Or, if you're the U.S. government, get in on stopping that from coming to the U.S. And so, of course, violence will develop. Um, for the Medellin cartel, we really see that kidnapping and murder of politicians will become common. Um, destroying law officers and killing law officers will become common. Going after journalists and even going after innocent bystanders becomes very common practice. Um, it gets to the point where actually they will start to fight their own government for the production of drugs and for money. Um, friggin' cool story. At one point, actually, Pablo Escobar becomes so famous that he runs for Senate in um, uh, Colombia, and he gets a Senate seat. Now, um, he walks into Senate, and they're like, this is a joke, and they uh, kick him out of Senate, so he's only in for a brief period, but, like, how crazy is the power of that guy? Um, so... 
I will say, um, while Escobar is an interesting figure, um, while he is loved by some Colombians, he is really, really hated by the government um, of Colombia, which is very much inspired by the U.S. government. Um, eventually, they will track down, um, find, and gun down Escobar, um, and this has really pushed through help of the US CIA and the US DEA. And if you ever have a chance to watch Narcos on Netflix, that's what it is about, is about the Medellin cartel, its development, and then it is about Escobar ultimately in his life. Now the second major cartel and the second part of Narcos, if you ever have time to watch this, is about the Cali cartel, which is the second major cartel to develop in Colombia. Um, so they develop a little bit later in 1977, so just a year after the Medellin cartel, and they actually hold prominence until 1998. So after the Medellin cartel falls, the Cali cartel becomes the big cartel. Um, this is going to be led by a guy named Gilberto uh, and his brother, Miguel Rodriguez Orejo. Um, and then it is also by a third-party guy named Jose Santa Cruz Lodonio. Um, so this group actually starts not with drugs, but with kidnapping people, and eventually they will switch to marijuana, then cocaine, and then heroin. Um, cocaine is the big thing that they are really going to, to develop. Um, at their height, they are pulling in around $7 billion a year as a cartel. Like That's insane money that they are pulling in by themselves. Um, they will provide the major competition to the Medellin cartel, obviously, um, and they will also weirdly play, maybe not weirdly, but play a pivotal role in the downfall of the Medellin cartel. Um, so they do this in a couple ways. Um, one, of the, one of the very common ways is they create, um, not, I guess not common, but um, maybe the most well-known, is they create a vigilante group to hunt down Escobar and his men um, doing the quote-unquote work of the government and work of the people called Los Pepes. And essentially, this is a group that goes out to execute Escobar and his men. Uh, and, and, and the government fully supports them. They're like, yes, we know you're the Cali cartel. We know you are not good, but at least you're not Escobar. And that's how much the government hated Escobar, is that they're willing to support another drug group to go after Escobar. Um, regardless, that's one of the ways they will try and bring down Escobar. The other way they'll try and bring down Escobar is by undercutting his markets in New York in Florida, in California, and in different states as well. Um, eventually, the Cali cartel will fall, like I said, in 1998. Um, they are going to fall to government wiretaps that ultimately catches their money laundering scheme that they are doing. And so the Cali cartel only actually lasts till 1998 itself. Eventually, when the Medellin and the Cali cartel fall, um, they're going to be replaced by two later cartels, the Norte del Valle cartel, which uh, starts in 1990 and runs to 2012. Um, it replaces a chunk of the Medellin cartel and a small bit of the Cali cartel, and then also the North Coast cartel, which forms in 1999 um, and is short-lived. It falls in 2004. Um, it replaces a little bit more of the Cali cartel and a small bit of the Medellin cartel. Um, both of those are going to fall to um, um, the government of Colombia through U.S. Um, intervention as well. Okay, so the last section that we're looking at here is the ties to Mexico and the drug cartels that will develop in Mexico. And again, to make another shameless plug here, uh, if you watch Narcos Mexico, this really explains what's going on in Mexico very well. So anyway, Mexico originally started its process in the illegal drug trade um, to the U.S. back in the 1930s um, through alcohol being brought into the U.S. during the U.S. Prohibition era. Um, eventually, they're going to transition over from uh, alcohol um, about 
I don't know, 30, 40 years later in the 1960s, 1970s, to marijuana and then eventually to heroin and cocaine. Marijuana was the big thing coming from Mexico until heroin and cocaine really hit in the 70s and 80s. Um, when cocaine does hit, though, really Mexico will become kind of like the middleman bringing in cocaine from Colombia and then distributing it across the border in several different locations uh, to the U.S. Um, that's kind of how they get introduced to cocaine, and then they will kind of develop their own systems of cocaine production in cocaine cells with their own cartels. Um, so the start of drug cartels in Mexico really begins with one person. Um, and weirdly enough, it is a former Mexican judicial federal police agent, a guy named Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, also commonly known as the Godfather. So Gallardo actually uh, formed the first Mexico cartel called the Guadalajara cartel in 1980. Um, essentially what he did was he took all of the small little drug gangs that existed across all of Mexico and he brought them all together under his own central power with the idea of trying to have peace between the gangs where all the gangs made money, all the gangs sold drugs, all the gangs had peace. And eventually this was the group that kind of started moving cocaine for the Medellin cartel and eventually long, long, long down the road, the Cali cartel. So Gallardo would be pretty much the sole major drug lord of Mexico up until 1987 when he eventually was going to be captured. Um, when he eventually was close to being captured, uh, he did kind of split up his major uh, Guadalajara cartel, kind of was forced to do it, but kind of did it anyway. Um, and he's going to split it up into five major cartels. And these are kind of the cartels that we have today in Mexico. So first of all, we have the Tijuana route, um, which went to the Ariano Felix uh, 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 brothers cartel. Um, so that was very confusing what I just said, but that was the um, uh, uh, Miguel Angel Felix brothers cartel. Um, so it was relatives of his. Um, second of all was the Ciudad Juarez route, which went to the Carrillo Fuentes family. Um, third was the Sonora Corridor, which went to Miguel Caro Quintero's uh, uh, group. Fourth was the Pacific Coast Operations, which went to uh, Loera and Garcia. Um, these were uh, uh, associates of uh, Miguel Angel. And then fifth and finally was the Matamoros uh, Tamaulipas Corridor, which went to Abrego. Um, this became the Gulf Cartel. And I'm sorry, I meant to say the uh, fourth one became the Sinaloa Cartel. So anywho, um, what we have basically seen is Mexico got its kind of mass introduction to drugs through Colombia, um, but really they developed their own kind of cartels as a result of that. So over about 30 years, um, the five cartels that we have here have multiplied multiple times over, um, but really two cartels have been the prominent ones of Mexico that have lasted for the longest, and those being the Gulf Cartel and the Sinaloa Cartel. Um, it's estimated that these cartels s account for somewhere between 15 to $50 billion annually in Mexico's economy. All of that being an illegal drug money that's coming in from the U.S. So just, just, just pause and think about that for a second. They're pulling in between 15 and $50 billion a year from the U.S. in drug money, which is just insane to think about. Um, but that's the power of drugs. You know there's a market. You gotta meet that demand, and Mexico's doing it. Um, anyway, that's where we're gonna go ahead and close out the notes for the day.
As a reminder, this was Latin American History Notes for Thursday, April 30th, 2020, covering Chapter 9, 20th Century Issues, Section 3, Drug Problems. As a reminder, the notes are online on Moodle as well as this recording. There is an attendance check-in that you guys need to do today, and if you need to get a hold of me, I am going to be on Discord from 2 to 3 for office hours. Otherwise, shoot me an email if you need me. Um, with that, guys, take care, stay safe, wash your hands, keep your social distancing, and I'll talk to you later. Have a good one.